0: morning, you uh, may have received some notice or we've we've made a little bit of an announcement this morning that we're doing something uh, a little bit different this morning. Um, we're not continuing. We're not doing the summer Bible jam message this week, but we'll continue that next week. But we're, we're doing something that I'm, I'm titling this thing, bowing before launching. And the the Reason we're doing this is to draw some attention to the place that God puts prayer in the activity of what He's doing in our lives and and in our corporate gathering, in our mission that we're on together as a church. And, you know, amongst the many things that are suffering from the deluge of scheduling that we all have challenges trying to maintain and figure out how much is too much, how much to maintain what to pull off in our lives and in our families, it is, it is very easy to jettison prayer, and it is a very unfortunate thing, and it's a paralyzing thing, really, in the kingdom of God to, to do that. So what we're doing right now, at this point, this morning, we're going to do this, and then Wednesday, we're going to have a special gathering for prayer on Wednesday night. So here's what I'd like to ask you to do, so please pay careful attention to this, because uh, this, this is what we would hope Wednesday night will look like, uh, that it won't look like there's, you know, like this is a message for some unusual Christians who have some unusual prayer life, and those unusual people will gather for that unusual meeting on Wednesday night, okay? But at the end of the message, hopefully you'll see that's not how that should look. Um, and in addition to Wednesday night's gathering, as, as Evan mentioned in the announcements, we're going to have a a dinner together, potluck dinner, and just, you know, bring something with you and enjoy some great food from others. We'll do that at 6.30, and then uh, probably about 7.15 or so, we'll, we'll move in here for a time of prayer. But could I ask you to do this, and I don't know how many have, have ever done this or not done this, but would you consider Wednesday during the day fasting, and then when you come Wednesday night, we'll eat a meal together, and then we'll pray together. Uh, and that, that, that really is a pretty common thing in Scripture. Prayer and fasting is a very common thing in Scripture. We're going to see it here when we look at this passage in Ezra. But what I, what I need to do before I move into this category is, uh, you know, prayer becomes a really pronounced thing in your life at certain moments, doesn't it? It, sh- it needs to be in this category. It needs to be part of the routine of the Christian life just relating to God, standing before Him, bringing our needs, interceding, calling on Him to do it. That should just be normal. But, but most of us kind of get a real active prayer life when our lives begin to have trouble, challenges, difficulties. Right? And that's not wrong. As a matter of fact, that's probably a pretty good thing for us to do. But, but here's what I want you to do. Is you look there at your introduction and your outline. Uh, a life... Full of things that matter. Your life is full of things that matter. Our church's life together is full of things that matter. And there's a little bit of difference in those categories, and they're supposed to be. There's some stuff individually that we're doing, there's some stuff as individual families and households that we're doing. And then we come together as a church. And so I just want you to I want you to venture with your heart into the categories of your life for a moment. That first question ask you this. What do you have coming up in your life that's really important? Right, what's coming up in your life? You personally, your family, people that are close to you that you're responsible to walk with. What do you have coming up that's really important in your life? Right? And, and there can be categories like, like school. Maybe you're starting, a new, starting in a new school. Your kids are starting a new school. Maybe you're launching into college or high school, and that's a new category for you. Um, maybe career-wise, maybe you're at a transition point in your career, maybe you're looking to get hired on, maybe you've been interviewing, maybe you're, you're feeling like things are about to change in your career, uh, and maybe your company's letting, letting some people know that, hey, we're going to be letting some folks go. Maybe your business is challenged in the season, you're trying to figure out, hey, what, what do I do? in there maybe you're moving maybe you're considering another city and or maybe you're new to the church here and you're new to new orleans and you've just moved here and there's a whole new set of new things in your life that you are seeking to fill in and figure out you know do we go to that city or this one Uh, do we move to this home maybe an offering on a house or something in the area maybe your family is expanding maybe you've got uh, children that are going to be added to you and they're going to change the pace of your life and then they're going to add more responsibilities and more activity. These are, these are big issues. Maybe there's a new health condition that's come into your world that you've suddenly had some symptoms that you've never had before. You've been to the doctor and there's a diagnosis or you're having to care for your spouse in a way that's just new, right? These, these are impacting things that are really important in our lives, and then there are things that are just continuing, right? They're not new. They're just continuing. They've been in your life for a long time. They're just part of the landscape of our lives. And there are things, things like your marriage, uh, parenting, you know, these daily routine relationships that have been going on for years and years and years. Some of you are here, you've been married 20, 30 years. You've been raising kids or caring for kids, you've got extended family members. And these are just the routines of your life. But how many of you guys know when those routines they they can they can lose all kinds of stuff, can't they? They can become stale. They can need maintenance. And if you own something for a long time, how many guys know it needs maintenance, right? One of the joys of homeownership, right? Maintenance has to be done. And and maintenance isn't adventurous. It's just repairing and putting back into shape what you already had. Um, Sometimes your marriage needs some maintenance. Sometimes your relationship with your kids and your intentionality needs some some maintenance, right? And that can be true in all kinds of categories for you. Could be financially. You're in a tough place and you've been in a tough place for a while you've just been wrestling through month to month, getting to the end of the month, the stresses that that brings, the wrestling with how do I, what do I do next? Do I need to do something different? Do we sell that? Do we do something radical? And you're having conversations and, and, and you're skimping in areas and it's it's challenging in your home life, et cetera, right? These, these areas matter to us. And I've called this launching, bowing before launching, because there are some things like that in the life of our church that matter to us. There are ministries, and it just happens at this point of the year, every year, we, we are launching several ministries, and we're venturing into some hostile territory. We're facing some challenges and some opposition, but we're doing something to bring the kingdom of God into settings, settings of believers' lives. And settings of unbelievers' lives. Settings of people who can't figure out whether they're one of those or the other. Modern Christians who haven't quite figured out that being a part of the kingdom of God means functioning in the kingdom of God, advancing the kingdom of God, being on a mission in the kingdom of God. But they haven't figured that out yet. And you and I ought to be on a mission toward those people who haven't figured out their mission yet. But there's a reason why they're in that funk. Got hurt by a church, just got busy with life lack of biblical understanding of what they should be doing. These, These are places we're called as a church to venture into, to fight our way into. And there's a place that prayer plays a very important role in all these dimensions, personally and corporately, right? So here's my question. In all these ways, when was the last time you paused and looked to God in faith for these things? When was the last time you took these things off of autopilot? You're going August back to school for a lot of folks. Your kids are venturing into a new class. are going to have new friends, new setting, new age group. Maybe you've decided to bring your kids home. You're going to homeschool kids. A new venture for you. Are you just on autopilot? You know, you just, you just, you know you've, you've done... Two dozen school years, you've just, you know, you've just been doing this for a while. Just going to venture in, do the next thing. You're doing that with your job? You're doing that with your family? Everything's just on autopilot, right? We show up, read our Bibles, attend church a bit. When was the last time you actually look to God in faith and you stared at that thing and you stared at God and you said, that thing right there, God, that thing needs your involvement in a greater way. The coming days need you to touch that thing and bring it to life, change it, reshape it, protect it from being attacked by the enemy. God, I need you to get involved in this in an extraordinary way, All right? So as I say those things to you right now, what's coming to mind for you? you just, are you on autopilot that the health struggle that you're having is just the health struggle you're going to be having, period? See, these things just become... Stuff that's going on, background noise in the theater of life. But yet for us, these are opportunities for us to draw near to God in prayer and intentionally let him awaken faith to believe something in these categories and then launch into those categories. And so we're going to learn something from Ezra chapter 8 today. If you'll turn there with me. If you are familiar to attending our prayer meetings, which, you know, we have these prayer meetings scheduled sometimes in the year and we'll call special meetings like this, like we're doing for Wednesday night, uh, you would have heard me share from this passage before. I've never preached from it, but I've just given a couple of thoughts from it. And it's, it's a rather intriguing lesson on prayer and the will of God that I find very, very helpful. Let me just give you a quick uh, setting for this. Ezra chapter 8. We had a cool map, but we're having some technical difficulties, it looks like. Uh, Ezra chapter 8 finds the people of God in this chapter, right? There's a whole section in the Bible. If you want to find major headlines for the Bible, you've got creation and the patriarch period. The next big, giant chapter center is Exodus And this Mount Sinai episode. And then the people of God are going to live in the promised land in some some good times and bad times and challenging times. And then the next major episode is the exile. The people of God, they've become unfaithful to God. They've looked away from him. And God has removed them from the land and sent them into exile. And then he restores them. And what we get in Ezra is we we get a wave of restoration that's taking place. The year is 458 BC, and there's a wave of exiles that are gonna come from Babylon and they're gonna return now to Jerusalem. But they're they're not the first wave that's returning. There's already been Zerubbabel, and that guy went back with a team and they've gone back already and they've rebuilt the temple. So God has already started this work of restoration in their lives. But this is the next group that's going to be going from Babylon. And so when we get to Ezra chapter 7, you you find King Artaxerxes, who is in full cooperation with Ezra and his desire to go back to Jerusalem, to reestablish the, the centrality of God's word and worship of God back in Jerusalem for his people. So the Persian king... Oh, cool. All right, so Persian king over here, this little red line will represent uh, Ezra's group going back, and they end up back in Jerusalem. This Persian king is all for this because God has put it in his heart to be all for what he's doing And he sends them letters and commends them in chapter 7. And they gather all the people together. So the beginning of the chapter, you read here in verse 1, these are the heads of the father's households. And you've got all these genealogies of people who are piling into their uh, station wagons. And they've got all their stuff. And they're headed back. They're done with Babylon. They're headed back to Jerusalem. and, And just as they go to depart on this mission in their life, We start reading in verse 15. You're going to get a lesson in a bunch of words and how probably to mispronounce them. All right, Ezra 8, verse 15. Ezra says this, I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava. And there we camped three days as I reviewed the people and the priests. I found there none of the sons of Levi. Then I sent to Elizer, Ariel, Shemaiah, El-Nathan, Jarib, El-Nathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leading men. And for Joarib and El Nathan, who were men of insight. And I sent them to Edo, the leading man at the place of Kesaphiah, telling them what to say to Edo and his brothers and the temple servants at the place Cesaphia. Namely, send us ministers for the house of our God. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion, of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, son of Israel, namely, Sherubiah with his son and kinsmen, 18. Also, Hashabiah, and with him, Jeshiah, of the sons of Merari, and with his kinsmen and their sons that were 20, Besides 220 of the temple servants whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites. These were all mentioned by name. All right. So first thing that happens, we're just about to pull out. We've gathered by the river Ahava. A pause moment is called by Ezra and he surveys we are lacking leaders. When we get to Jerusalem, there is ministry that will need to take place. And it needs to have certain types of leaders in place for it to happen. So he pauses in this moment and he gathers leaders. And then the next thing he does in verse 21, he says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, Lord, these are those unique episodes that you record amongst all the activity that your people walk through and live through and look to you for. This is inspired and protected and handed down to us. So Lord, draw us into this inspired word. Let us see what transfers to us, what impacts our lives. Lord, help us, give us understanding by your spirit in Jesus' name, amen. I want to highlight this one particular phrase from verse 21, and I want to brand it in our hearts. He proclaimed the fast here that we might, listen, humble ourselves before our God to seek something from him. And there was a particular thing that they sought him for, but there are particular things that we are seeking for today. And the posture in that moment, with the mission in front of them, with the possibilities that existed, possibilities of good and possibilities of bad. What captures his attention is he's got this long trek ahead of him across deserts and terrain. He's a little band of people. There are marauders. There are little kingdoms amongst the Persian kingdom. There's a lot of opportunity for opposition attack, and he's aware of that, and he stops, and that captures his attention, and he says, let us humble ourselves before our God to seek something from him, right? I love this posture. I love that phrase. I need to be reminded of it more often, that I would be in need of humbling myself before my God to seek something from him in light of what I'm about to venture into. That transfers, right? That's not just an Ezra moment. That's not, hey, that was good for those folks way back then. I need that. We need that. And what's really intriguing here, this, this is an intriguing thing, and this is one, part of the reason why I would in, encourage us by way of, of fasting on Wednesday is because one of the things that fasting does is it deliberately turns your attention away from your connection with and dependence upon natural things. Right? Obviously, you can't do that for very long, right? You, you can't fast for too long because your body needs natural substance. And so you need to eat and you need to drink. But there is a moment and there are moments throughout Scripture where the people of God stop what they're doing and they fast fast. And that act of fasting does something to them. It it strips away their sense of routine autopilot every day. I'm dependent upon the natural stuff of this life. Because, you know, when you begin to venture into what God has for you and you are in the habit of depending upon natural things, guess what you do when you start to do the will of God? You depend on natural things. Your own talents, your own time, your own resources, the favorableness of other people, etc. And God says, you know, why don't you venture into this by first stripping away your sense of dependency upon natural things and turn your attention to me to remind yourself that your future is in my hands. And what's about to take place needs my supernatural involvement with you. So turn away from the natural and turn to the supernatural. And that's what fasting does for us. So I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to take some time on Wednesday and spend some time fasting. You can break that fast. You can come together with us. We'll celebrate a meal together. But you would have intentionally taught your soul, look away from the natural and look to God. That's what they did. They humbled themselves before God to seek something from him. And I find this intriguing because... If there was ever a moment when you could have assumed the will of God, that this is what God wanted, God is for us, he will accomplish this, relax and just do it. If there was ever an autopilot moment, this was one of them. Right here, look clearly, I put several things in here that just are, these are autopilot elements for them. Just to pack your station wagon and let's go. Let's just end up back in Jerusalem. We know where we're supposed to be. Listen to all the, the factors that would have been influencing their thinking. Right, first, Jeremiah, the prophet, had clearly prophesied that after 70 years in exile, God was going to restore them to the land. So should we still be in Babylon? No. If the 70 years have passed, <clears throat> we should be back in Jerusalem. All right Jeremiah said this long before this point in history Jeremiah 29:10 says this for thus says the Lord when 70 years are completed for Babylon I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord so them being back in Jerusalem is the fulfillment of God's plans. God had made clear, I'm taking you into exile, and after 70 years, the first wave comes back. And, you know, that's 520 something, maybe. So they're back in Jerusalem, the first wave, then they go to work on the temple, and they finish the temple somewhere around 516 we're 458 BC. We're 57 years after the temple's been finished. Should anybody be scratching their head wondering, should we be back in Jerusalem right now? No, the prophecy of Jeremiah is clear. God was restoring us to the promised land and to the temple. So they don't have to sit in Babylon and go, is this the will of God? Is this what God wants for us? Does he want us to go back? Should we venture and risk going across open terrain by ourselves without military help? Should we even be doing, should we just stay here? They didn't have to ask any of those questions. They knew this was God. The first wave's already gone back. They've had favor from God. They've had support. There's been ongoing Persian government support, right? You've had three different kings who have supported the return. They've financially forked over money for the children of Israel to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple to glorify God. Somehow these heathen kings have gotten involved in furthering God's work in Jerusalem. So Cyrus sends a decree, warns all the people in the land. Don't you mess with these people. They're in my kingdom, sending them back so that they may serve the God who is above all other gods. Right? They get this decree from Cyrus. Darius does the same thing. Artaxerxes is going to do the same thing in chapter 7. He's going to write a letter. Basically, it's a credit card. He gives them a credit card. Says, you guys go back to Jerusalem. Here, take all the silver and the gold that you need from Babylon Take the stuff that was stolen out of the temple. Take it all back with you. Oh, and listen, if if you need some more while you're there, here's the the Empire credit card. Go ahead and use it. It's on us. Can you imagine? Are you scratching your head wondering, well, gee, should we go? You know, this heathen king's going to bankroll our trip, and he's threatening everybody in the land that if you mess with us, you're in trouble. Gee, is this the will of God? I don't know. And then if you've read the Old Testament a little bit, you know that the will of God centers in this place called the promised land. And at the center of that promised land is that tabernacle, temple that we've learned about, the dwelling place of the presence of God on earth. So theologically, they're not sitting down asking the question, well, maybe God just wants us to start something new here in Babylon. Maybe we should just stay, don't don't venture over there, take a risk right? One sign after another says, no, we should go. And they're even convinced of that when they, when they say in verse 22, they said, we didn't ask the king for a band of soldiers or horses. Why? Because we know this about our God. The hand of our God is for good on all who seek him. And the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So isn't it interesting, all that revelation and insight, and you still felt, Ezra, you needed to pause at Ahava. And wait for days and call for a fast and pray? Ezra, aren't you clear God is with you? Aren't you clear God's going to do this? Aren't you clear this is the will of God for you? This is intriguing to me. This is the kind of stuff, this is the kind of details you want to pay attention to when you do your Bible reading. Because it informs you about something pretty, pretty important. Even though we understand God has this massive will and purpose that he is going to accomplish. And he is sovereign over everything. And there's never a day that you or I or any creature ever has to fear that that God who runs the universe might not be able to pull off his plan. The Bible never lets you believe that. The Bible always presents God that, you know, there's coming a day and that day will show up exactly when God said. And it will be just like he said. Right? The whole world will stand before God in judgment. We all, we all believe that. But what if the world doesn't want to? What if they exercise their free will and they say, I'm not coming? <laughs> right? Everybody's laughing, thinking, well, it doesn't matter what your will is. Why does it not matter what your will is on that day? Why on that day do you all of us get that when man exercises his, quote, free will... It won't matter one bit, will it? God will summon creation to him and they will stand before him in judgment and you won't have the day off no matter what you do. I I, I guess God's going to violate your free will. I mean, y'all know that God violates people's free will. So here we are. God's got a purpose that he's fulfilling in the midst of these people. And the tricky part here is to not take that revelation and unbolt anything meaningful that you and I do with our lives. Say, well, if God's got a purpose, if God's going to do that, and God's going to do what God's going to do, and it's his will. So, you know, day to day, it doesn't matter what I do. I can blow off what I got to do. I don't really need to do whatever it is that I'm supposed to be doing because God's going to do. Hey, I just heard you say. Everything God plans, he accomplishes. No one can resist. The will of God can't be thwarted. So basically that means you and I don't need to do anything, right? So then you read Ezra chapter 8 and you're scratching your head going, what is Ezra's problem? Dude, chill out. Take it easy. Pack up your caravan, cross the desert, eat some fruit. Relax. No, no, no. Pause. Pause. See who you've got with you. Call fast and pray for God and seek him for something. That's what Ezra does. I don't think Ezra is like, well, you know, I I didn't know God was sovereign. (laughs) I I think he knew God was sovereign. I think he knew a lot about God. But this is still in the economy and plan of God that you and I would look to him a certain way, would entrust ourselves to him a certain way. It, It matters how you do stuff. In the kingdom of God. Let me just take you on a side, John, here. A little bit later in your notes here, it's going to say this. Although they are clearly taking steps of faith in agreement with God's will for them, they stop at Ahava and draw our attention to two things, prayer and appointed leaders. And I'm going to come back to those two in just a second. But, But let me just make a point out of this. Walking in God's will for life doesn't mean you get to do it any way you want there are particulars. There is revelation from God. There is a way that God is doing his sovereign work and in involving human activity in it. And you and I aren't in charge of that. We, we don't have to demand an explanation for it. we we just to walk in what's clear to us to walk in. Right, but I was just doing some devotional reading the other day and Few weeks back and came across this story, right? Joshua chapter one is in your outline. Venturing into the promised land, God is about to make this overarching promise to the people of God. Joshua chapter one, God says, Moses, my servant is dead. So we're transitioning to Joshua's leadership. Now, therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. All right, that's a, that's a pretty strong statement, right? Go venturing into the land and, and you know, every place the sole of me. And so they, I mean, I don't know what this looked like when they first walked in, right? It's like ours, hours too, a little bit more hours. I mean, just, they, just, they just kept walking and everything was theirs right? And then they got to this city, Jericho, with these massive walls and these people who didn't look like they were going with the program. And it was going to take faith from them and obedience to God. And it was going to take a plan from God in order to overcome that. Now, if you had read Joshua chapter 1, you might have ignorantly as a human being concluded, well, God said everywhere our foot sets, he has given to us. There's Jericho. Well, just keep walking. We'll just walk right into Jericho and that'll be ours because wherever our feet stand, that's our land. Right? But that's not what God did with them. There was a particular way that God had called them to go about. Remember, there's a unique story, and they go around, they walk around the city, and they shout, and the walls come down, right? There was a strategy in God. And so then they move on from Jericho. They've had this Super Bowl victory, this massive, probably in that region, the most difficult victory was to overcome the city of Jericho. There's a little town up the road called Ai, need that much strategy for AI. It's a little town, right? So Joshua 7, verse 4 says, so about 3,000 men went up there from the people. So just a little little group, you know, it's a little town, AI. We don't need a lot of effort. The rest of us can stay back and just have a picnic. They up to AI and they fled before the men of AI. And the men of AI killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shabarim. And struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So here you've got this venture. I thought everywhere we put our feet was ours. And we ventured into the AI and we got our butts kicked. And there's 36 of us that are dead now. Have we misunderstood? Are we out of the will of God? I mean, and this moment of disillusionment and confusion sets in among them. If you guys remember the story... They had gotten a little casual about what God had said to do. And God had said to destroy everything when they went into Jericho. But there was a particular man who decided, you know, this stuff's kind of valuable over here. And I don't think it's a big deal if I kept a little bit of it. So he kept some back. And as a result of his disobedience, God withdrew his favor when they went into Ai. And they end up losing the battle in Ai. And God explains to Joshua, here's why, Joshua. You didn't do this the way I said do it. But here's what's interesting. God turns around then in this next passage and he says, now go back in. I'm with you. Go back in to Ai. Look in verse 3 of chapter 8 in Joshua. It says, so Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor. 3,000 this time? No, but well, if God's given him the city, because God has promised that he would give him the city, why do you need 30,000? Take three. God's given you the city, right? 30,000 mighty men of Valor and sent them on out by night. And he commanded them, behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And and when they come out against us, just as before, we will flee before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, they are fleeing from, uh, from us just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord, your God, will give it into your hand. And what would you do with the revelation that God is going to give you this city? God's going to give you the city. And everywhere you put your feet, you get. Would you have strategized like this? It's a strategy. This sounds like what generals come up with when they go to do war and they go to attack. There's going to be a little band. We're going to go up to the front door, make some noise. There's going to be enough of us to where it looks like a real war. They're going to come out. When they come out, we're going to run over that hill. They're going to run over the hill with us. And then you 30,000 guys, you come into the city and shut the whole city down and take it. That's strategy. But I thought God was giving you the city. Yes, he is giving you the city, and you're going to need to strategize to take it. And you understand, this is not a problem in God's economy. It's only a problem when you and I decide we don't need to participate in the kingdom of God that way. Now, you've got stuff in your life that you know is the will of God. You know it's the will of God. And you've got things that you're pretty sure is the will of God in your life. So is it God's will that that you be married? That your marriage would have certain qualities to it, it would be a certain type of an experience of human relationship together. Is it, is it your? Is it God's will for you that maybe you're going to school, or you're in college, or you're in a particular career that you're in? Right. So it's real easy to feel like we know this is God's will, and then shift into autopilot, and off we go living this life. Very seldom ever. Checking in with God, ever having an va pause moment where we stop and say, we're going to humble ourselves before our God to seek something from him for this venture. And you know it's God's will, right? You know he's for that. He'll take care of the rest. He'll do that. It's God's will that people get saved by the outreach of the church. Goodness, everybody knows that. He sent us into the world to proclaim the gospel. Don't we all know that? Isn't it God's will that we love one another and we're involved with one another and we care for one another and we lift up one another's burdens? We just know that's God's will. What's the big deal? Just put it on autopilot and do covenant groups and and do alpha outreaches and get on campuses with the bridge and next gen and just just don't do that stuff. We've been doing it for years, right? In August, you'll just read it like a news blip. It's just the next thing we're doing, right? Apparently not. Jericho needed a word from God, even though every place you put your foot is yours. AI needed a word from God, even though every place you put your foot is yours. So are these promises that are from God that you and I still need to stand before God, humble ourselves, detach ourselves from natural resources, and look to God in faith saying, God, you need to show up in this. This needs to be your victory and you need to accomplish this and that's what Ezra does here he injects two things that should capture our attention here he, he, he injects prayer into this setting by pausing and looking to God in your outline I said it can be easy to assume that God can or will fulfill his purpose with or without my prayers God will do this with or without my prayers, right? God will usher in his kingdom with or without my prayers. Now listen, the thing that convinces me that I believe that is my prayer life. I can take day after day after day after day off from having much of a prayer life because I really believe God will do this with or without anybody's involvement yet the Bible doesn't teach it to me that way. Right? When you look at these moments where God is leading his people, they seek God and pray and entrust things to him and look to him. And then they move into these realms. I right? look into the New Testament, the examples that are listed in your outline there. Right? Acts chapter two is this massive outpouring from God on his people. And he promised that he would do it. Jesus just hinted and just told them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise. And they gathered for days in an upper room and they prayed and waited and looked and prayed and waited and looked. And suddenly God poured out his Holy Spirit on them and power came to them and they went out, became ministers in Jerusalem. And then once they began to minister in Jerusalem, there was a Outbreak of witness that takes place in Jerusalem. Miraculous things are happening. Proclamation is happening. Stephen, the apostle, goes out, prophesies, speaking, declaring the gospel into the city of Jerusalem. Used by God mightily. Ends up being killed, martyred. And then God breaks out and sends them into Samaria. And the gospel is on the move. The apostle Paul gets saved shortly after that. But don't overlook in Acts chapter 4, the end of Acts chapter 4, they gathered together for this mighty prayer time. They came together and they called upon God and they asked God to specifically give them boldness in their witness and the power of God came on their lives, and they became bold even to the point of death. Stephen stands before a crowd that's going to kill him when he's finished with what he has to say, but that doesn't stop that man from being bold in what he had to say. Where'd that come from? I just wonder did it come out of that prayer meeting? specifically ask God for boldness? Even though it was the will of God, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Go into all the world. We know it's God's will, but that didn't stop them from praying in Acts chapter 4. Together and calling on the Lord. God's mission personally, God's mission corporately, needs prayer. Don't leave home without it. Don't try this stuff without it. There's an agenda in the kingdom of God that needs us to humble ourselves and seek something from God. Let me make one more little notice here from Ezra's story. These missions are leader led missions, they involve people, they involve people playing particular roles. It would be easy to assume that God can or will fulfill his purpose with or without my involvement. Whether or not you show up or not, or I show up or not. All right, so, so question for us. A bunch of questions. Do I, do you need to execute a plan for your family? You are in a role of leading, caring for your family does it does it matter whether you show up does it matter whether you shoulder the responsibilities does it matter whether you come up with a plan to approach jericho ai or your 10 year old or whatever it is does it matter that i get something from god and then does it matter that you execute it or not do leaders need to show up or does god just take care of those things because we know god has a will and a purpose do you need to even be at a prayer meeting hey we got a prayer meeting here on wednesday night do you need to be here is that, is that even going to matter? Does, I mean, you got other things going on, right? <clears throat> it's crowding in. you got scheduled stuff. You'd have to cancel something. You'd have to crowd your week a little bit more. But, you know, I mean, the kingdom of God, it kind of has this autopilot thing to it. It just runs on its own. I don't really need to be here. Do you need to lead a covenant group? Right? There are a number of folks in the church who have been leading covenant groups for years some who are new in leading covenant groups. And maybe at some point you might be asked to lead a covenant group. How do you you venture into that? Do we need leaders to do stuff? Right? You're going to get an email from Frank, I'm sure, if you haven't already in the next days, recruiting alpha table leaders. You know, we need 20-something alpha table leaders every time we we do an alpha. But do I really need to do that? I mean, doesn't the kingdom of God just advance? It's kind of on this autopilot thing. I don't need to really do that, do I? I don't need to go through the adjustments and involve myself in the schedule problems and material and study and all that kind of... Do I really need to do that? All right, listen, listen carefully. In verse 15 of Ezra 7, there are some people highlighted here. They are part of the strategy. Ezra pauses and highlights particular people in particular ways. And he highlights himself first. He says, I gathered them to the river. And I sent for these men. Aren't we grateful that Ezra played some kind of a role in this moment? Aren't we grateful that we're reading this story because a man named Ezra had some kind of prompting by God to lead in a particular way. And instead of just everybody packing up and moving on, he says, no, no, no. We need to stop right here, pause, and evaluate who we have with us. And seek God and his favor upon what we're seeking to do. How did that happen? Well, it didn't just happen. It happened because a man named Ezra did what he was supposed to do. I did this and I did that. And he sent for Eliezer, Ariel, leading men. He didn't just send for anybody. He recognized that somebody in that setting is playing a particular role. Don't just send me anybody. Ezra didn't say. He said, send me leading men. Men who have a track record of faithfully serving in a capacity to influence and lead others. Send me those. So apparently it matters who they were. And for Joarab and El Nathan who were men of insight. Does it matter that you become a man of insight? Does it matter that you pick the word of God up and you know something about connecting real life to these passages? Does that really matter? I mean, God is sovereign, isn't he? He's going to do whatever he's going to do. Or does it matter that amongst the people of God, there are those who have insights into how life is supposed to be? What God is up to in our midst. That's who Ezra sends for. Apparently, these people matter. He sent them to Edo, the leading man at the place, Cassaphia. The leading man. Edo is known. It matters whether Edo took the day off or took his life off or decided it didn't matter whether he became the leading man in that place. Apparently, it mattered to send us ministers for the house of our God. There's a, a moment where Ezra pauses and says, we're going back to Jerusalem to restore ministry. Do we have the leaders that we need to do that? And then somebody goes out and starts recruiting them and finding them. Said, so listen. In today's church, somehow there's this autopilot. These things take care of themselves, and so you've probably been approached and recruited for stuff that we're doing. Because at some point, we sit down and look. We're, we're going to do that, and we're going to need leaders to get that to happen. And you go, and you get recruited, and we hope and trust that we're seeking insightful men and men who are leaders and women who have known God deeply to serve in these capacities. But these things matter, right? Personnel matters in the kingdom of God. Do you see this? When you read your Bible, do you see all this stuff? If you don't, this is why your Bible's boring. This leaps out at me. It calls out to my life. It says something about who I am and who I want to be What I engage and how I do it in faith. Why are we pausing at Ahava right now? Because there's some things that we're doing as a church that that matter in the kingdom of God. There are some battles to be fought. There are some cities to go to war for. There are outreaches to be done. There are lost folks to connect with. There are nominal Christians to be rescued from their nominalness. There are people who need to get on a mission for the glory of God. There are those in the kingdom of God who need to get closer into the kingdom of God to protect them from the enemy along the way as we travel from here to the land of glory together. This, this, This matters. and So we need to pause at Ahava and call out to God together. But here's a good question for us. Whatever happened to pausing at Ahava? Let me ask it to you this way. Whatever happened to prayer meetings? You guys have been in church world long enough to remember prayer meetings. There used to be a thing called prayer meetings a so fellow, Ben Patterson, is a pastor and author. He wrote an article called, Whatever Happened to Prayer Meeting? I'm going to read this to you, and then I want us to turn this meeting into a prayer meeting, are we? So we're going to pray in just a moment, but listen carefully to this thought from Ben Patterson. He says, East Indian evangelist, KP Yohannan, says he will never forget one of his first prayer meetings in an American church. He had come to the United States eager to meet some of its spiritual giants and leaders. One man in particular held his interest, a preacher known even in India for his powerful sermons and uncompromising commitment to the truth. More than 3,000 people attended services on the Sunday. Johannen visited his church. The choirs were outstanding. The preaching was everything he'd hoped it would be. But he was especially taken by an announcement the pastor made about the midweek prayer meeting. He said there were some things lying heavy on his heart. Would the people come and pray about them? Then he announced the name of a certain chapel on the church campus. Excited, Johannan determined he would attend. When he arrived later that week, he brought with him some definite assumptions. The most basic was that prayer meetings are essential, of primary importance. In India and in many other parts of the world where Christians are persecuted, the prayer meeting is the centerpiece of the church's life. Everyone comes. The meetings often last long into the night, and it is not unusual for believers to arise daily before sunup to pray together for the work of the church. Fearing a huge crowd, he came early to get a seat. When he arrived, he was surprised to discover a chapel with a capacity of only 500 that was empty. A few people eventually came in, but there was no leader, no songs or worship, just chit-chat about news, weather, and sports. Forty-five minutes later, an elderly man, the leader but not the pastor, walked into the chapel to offer a few devotional thoughts from the Bible and give a brief prayer. The meeting was over. And as the seven attendees filed out of the chapel, Johannan sat in stunned silence, his mind filled with questions. Was this it? Weren't they going to stay and wait upon God? Where, Where was the worship? The tears. The cries for guidance and direction. Where was the list of the sick and the poor and those in need? What about the burden the pastor said was heavy on his heart? Weren't we going to intercede for a miracle? And where was the pastor? Church leaders who think nothing of spending days planning programs or of spending thousands of dollars to hire consultants to help them do it, Blanch at the thought of spending even one whole night to wait on the Lord to show them what to do. If it is true that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, then we must pray, mustn't we? Can there be any other way to reach a lost world? Do we really think our plans and programs can bring down strongholds of spiritual evil in the heavenly realms? Right? These, these are the facts of life. So here's, here's what I want us to do this morning. Just fast forward on, on Wednesday. I want us to ponder personal needs on Wednesday personal things God has called your life to take on, to walk in, to fulfill, to launch out into, places for faith, ministry opportunities, strength that you need, healing in your marriage, healing in your body, direction from God, faith for some new venture, new chapter that you're venturing into. Right, Wednesday night, that's what we're gonna pray about on Wednesday night. So if you're dead and nothing's going on in your life, then you don't need to be here on Wednesday. But if God's called you to something, to take another step in something, to further his kingdom somehow, then Wednesday night we're going to gather together and we're going to pray for those needs. and We're going to pray for one another in those areas of need. But this morning, corporately, we're we're praying for what corporately we are launching into in August. There are areas of ministry that are vitally important to what God does in the future in bringing his kingdom into this place. So I'm going to actually ask for people to come up in these four categories, and I'm going to station them in different places around the church so that as we just take some time to linger, you're going to have this option. Uh, I want everybody to be interceding for these four areas that I'll put up on the board in just a second. And maybe the Lord would stir you to go to some of the folks that are here. Or maybe just to go stand in the place where these ministries are. And to begin to intercede with these folks who are leading and serving in these areas. Or or maybe you just will be sitting there and you'll be praying for different ministries that are about to take place. But listen, we, we all own this. Covenant groups don't belong to the covenant group leaders. Alpha doesn't belong to the Alpha table leaders and the few who faithfully serve. None of these ministries belong. They are the ministries of our church. They are the expansion of the kingdom of God into people's lives that matter to God. So whether or not I'm going to be particularly involved, maybe some need to wrestle with that. But we together as a church are all involved in this. We are all in the kingdom advancement business together. And so we all have a responsibility to pray before we launch out from Ahava into the purpose that God has for us. So let me do this. I think I've got a a map that I'm going to station folks in these four particular areas of ministry. So if I could get all the covenant group leaders and their wives, if you guys would come and stand right over here. If you guys come on now. I'm going to have you as a destination for folks to be able to pray for. If I could have all the Alpha table leaders and those who are serving in Alpha starting in August, if you guys would come stand over on this side. I'm going to pray for each of these places. Um, launching in August down here at the bottom the bridge and Next Generation are ministries that we send from Lakeview Into The bridge goes into the college campus area, and it seeks to advance the gospel into the lives of Tulane students, Loyola students, and really any college student in our city. So if I could get the bridge guys to go stand all the way back there in the back corner. And Next Generation is a ministry that goes into high schools and proclaims the gospel to high school students. And so we've got a couple of folks in the church who are a part of those ministries as well. And so, if the next gen guys who are involved in next gen, if they could head back to that corner as well. So, we've got student ministries and outreach happening over there. And then our last group is going to be MOPS, Mother of Preschoolers. And Leah is our uh, Lakeview Homeschool uh, group that. Uh, I'm going to put, yeah, thank you for the explanations that are up there. The MOPS folks who serve in those areas of ministry, if they would head back to that area underneath the overhang over there. Um, MOPS, Mother of Peaceful Little seeks to encourage and equip young mothers in the calling as moms. Uh, the ministry provides opportunities to reach the lost, those without a church, fellowship, and young moms here at Lakeview as well. The bridge, just for you to be able to pray uh, the, if you understand what the purpose of the bridge is, the next generation is to pursue gospel opportunities and disciple-making among college and high school students. Uh, the bridge outreach takes place on Tulane's campus, and next generation takes place in numerous high school campuses. Uh, the other areas, we're going to just let them put the screens up there so that you guys will know how to pray for these various ministries. Um, all right, we are all... Gathered at Ahava, and we're about to launch in all of these areas. Now, there's other ministries in the church. We're highlighting these because they're all for launching in August, and so this doesn't mean there are other areas that we don't care about, but these are missions that are imminently upon us for which we want to do exactly what this verse cries out for us to do, humble ourselves before our God to seek something from him. What is in your heart that you want to come and ask God for and pray for for these folks in these various settings? Right, so can you be led by the Holy Spirit? Can you go to these folks? Can you go in faith? Listen, I, I love you. Know, one of the images I had for this prayer time was just Jesus standing in the temple and watching the widow who just had little, two little copper coins. She had next to nothing. And she just came and she just dropped that in and it caught the attention of the son of God. So you may be here and you're thinking, I don't have something elaborate to pray. I, I mean, I'm not some great theologian. I don't do well praying. Hey, you got two little coins of faith that you can just come drop here. It could be those two coins that of everything that's about to take place in here. Your faith to come to God and ask for him to do something may be what catches his attention. For the days ahead. So please don't let anybody think this is a prayer time for somebody else. This is for you to intercede. So I want you to be released from where you are. I want you to have some courage to just go. Maybe you just want to go stand in these locations and pray for these folks, but look through these areas of ministry. You just pray for us, and then we're going to turn this into a prayer meeting. Right? So you guys can be praying for what God's leading you into. Each group can be praying, and you can come join them. You can come ask God. God can hear you, even if nobody else can hear you. But this is, this is a prayer meeting now. So can we bow our heads, and then can we get up and move toward these places? Lord, Lord fill us with the Holy Spirit right now. Lord, we need power from you. We need power to pray. We need words of faith in our hearts. We need insights. We need prophetic elements that cause us to see into what you're doing. Lord, there will be opposition. There are rulers in heavenly places. And we are told that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we are contending with those principalities and powers. And we're contending this morning, Lord. We know that as we launch out from Ahavah to land in the place you've called these ministries to land, there will be opposition. The enemy will do everything in his power to darken the ministries in these places, to make them unfruitful, to distract people from receiving from these settings. So, Lord, before we launch, God, we bend our knees. We humble ourselves. We posture ourselves to say, Lord, we're going to do a bunch of things in the days to come, but God, we need you. Jericho walls don't fall just because we're noisy. They fall because you make them come down when we walk in obedience to you. God, you are in our midst to do great things this morning. Revive our hearts to remember that and to know that and to take shelter in it. God, burden us right now. Burden us. Let our hearts feel the weight of particular ministries. Lord, maybe we're here and we're a young mom. We know what difficulties of being a young mom. Maybe there's some older moms that are here. No, those can be some discouraging seasons, times when faith is severely stressed and tried. Lord, maybe you're calling some of these moms to go over there and pray with the Mops ministry folks who are seeking to homeschool their kids this year, or maybe for some you're awakening them to the plight of young people, to college students and high school students in a whirlwind of natural-mindedness and unbelief, fleshly pursuit. And Lord, you remember the difficulty of those years maybe my own life. God, would you send some to go pray and have faith and believe God in these categories? Lord, there's a whole ministry and covenant groups that take place to, to equip your people, to encourage faith in your people, to strengthen them with one another, to protect them from the enemy. God, would you send folks to pray now for the days ahead in covenant groups God for Alpha as it reaches out yet again and the church reaches out to find those who need to hear the gospel to find those who have not found fellowship and shelter in the body of Christ God stir our hearts these things matter God let them matter to us right now send us Lord with hearts full of faith to pray go ahead and get up and go and find the place where God's sending you to go stand with those groups and Let's take a few moments, and if you feel led to more than one group, spend a few moments in one and then move to the next group. and Take a few moments just to wait on the Lord. And let you be led by Him. do Ezra records that we fasted and implored our God for this and he listened to our entreaty. But how amazing this morning that you are listening. You are eagerly leaning in. Promise that your ear would be ever toward us that if we humbled ourselves and called on your name, you would be listening from heaven and you would hear our cries and you would answer our prayers. Lord, we believe that all these ministries represent your purpose and your will. Don't believe that any of them are Off track or headed to a location or seeking to accomplish something that doesn't agree with you. But God, more than just being aware that you are okay with these things and you have ordained these things, Lord, we humble ourselves and seek you and seek something from you, Lord. Lord, there is activity for us to engage, there are leaders who will lead meetings and tables there are facilitators and there is administrative activity and there are words that will be shared thoughts that will be exchanged but lord none of that has the power in and of itself to raise the dead or to give sight to the blind or release those who are held captive and that's the work you've called us to do God, we are in this world with that kind of an assignment. And you have given us an anointing by the Spirit. So we pause this morning to seek that power, to seek your power in our midst. That as we launch into these areas, Lord, you will do supernatural work among us. God, you will draw people into these settings. God, you will overcome aversions and distractions and personal busyness. And you will draw people into each one of these settings from high school and college campuses to, to sitting around dining room tables and living rooms to being at alpha tables and gathering to discuss motherhood together with other moms. Lord, draw men and women and young people into these settings and supernaturally open their hearts and their minds to you. Lord, give them a hunger that only you can satisfy. God, give us faith to believe that you are with us in the days ahead. Lord, stir us to anticipate God with us, accomplishing the supernatural. We're not just going through some motions here, God. We are anticipating your kingdom coming in the face of darkness, in the face of opposition, in the face of attacks of the enemy that we know will come. We are anticipating your kingdom coming, it breaking into this place and giving men and women, those who don't know you and those who do, a taste of eternity, a pronouncement, We are people with an appointment with God. God, give us grace in the days ahead. We look to you, we humble ourselves before you, and we anticipate you going before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for coming to the prayer meeting. All right, now don't forget, Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Listen, if Wednesday night you got something going on in your life and you don't show up here and bring it, but well, you just keep that miserable?